Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors, who make amazing acrylic and oil paint, watercolors, and painting mediums. Made in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden sets the standard for art materials. You can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has an incredible array of roasted coffee beans that you can order and have delivered to your door. They even have a subscription service of curated blends that you can order by visiting their website fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners can get 20% off their order by adding the code Alfred Studio at checkout. Check out Fulcrum for some amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. The Sound and Vision podcast book, Why I Make Art, is now available. Published by Altelier Editions, it's filled with artist features, quotes, and themed sections, images of the artist's sketches in the Sound and Vision guest book, and a foreword by Rishikesh Hirway of Song Exploder podcast and the Netflix show. I think you'll really love it. It's available for $25 at Altelier Editions' website, and you can get it most places where you can buy books. Kumasi J. Barnett is an artist who received his MFA from The Ohio State University and now lives and works in Baltimore, Maryland. Influenced by the aesthetics and narratives of comic books, his work subverts and imbues the often timeless genre with a present-day social consciousness. He frequently paints directly over old copies of comic books, changing their narratives into critiques of police brutality, racial profiling, and more broadly, systemic racism. His works have been exhibited widely both in the United States and abroad, including exhibitions at Lowell Ryan Projects in Los Angeles, the Spring Break Art Show in New York, City Lore in New York, the Con Artist Collective in New York, the Arsenal Gallery in New York, Sulphur Bath Studio in Brooklyn, and the Brooklyn Public Library in Brooklyn, New York. Museum exhibitions include the Zietz Museum of Contemporary Art in Africa, in Cape Town, South Africa, the Boca Raton Museum of Art in Florida, and most recently, the Verge Center for the Arts in Sacramento, California. He presented a solo booth with Low Ryan Projects at the Armory Show in 2020 in the Focus section curated by Jamila James. His work has also been featured in Art Forum, Ammo, Vibe, Hyperallergic, Huffington Post, Auteur, Artnet News, and The Guardian, amongst other publications. I spoke to Kamasi about growing up drawing and painting, Baltimore envisioning social change, taking time to process, working on upcoming shows, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah. So, uh, excited to talk to you. Only came into your work fairly recently, so I apologize for that, but I've been really into it. And I didn't come to your work the way I come to a lot of work. It was actually my neighbor and good friend who introduced me to your work, which was really cool. So I went down the rabbit hole. I don't know how he came across it. He's not an artist or necessarily a 
you know, avid art. You know, he, he likes art, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he's not, you know, beating the gallery scene all the time. So, um, but really into what you're doing and, and kind of like excited to hear your story. But uh, I do appreciate it. I do believe you grew up in Baltimore, which is. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and we would go to Baltimore a lot, and I love the town. The Folk <laughs> Art Museum was always fun, the little harbor oh, yeah. area. Good food, like Old Bay, you know, the all the stuff. Billy Holiday, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like half of it. Does that wrap it up? The Orioles? Anything? Ravens? Should I throw anything else in there? Well, Ravens, you don't want to really talk about the Orioles. They haven't seen a winning season in a while. We'll leave that on the side, yeah. yeah. Well, I come from Pittsburgh, so, you know. Do the math. Yeah. Pirates haven't been No, good. Pittsburgh's Ever. great. I, yeah, you know, Mattress Factory. Yeah. Well, uh, Andy Warhol Museum. Yeah. The Carnegie. Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. It feels very similar, you know, in it certain really ways. Yeah, good music, yeah. Uh, good food, kind of off the beaten path, or, you know, do you feel like there's a few people that when you say the city's name that pop up, you know what I mean, yeah. and then you hear that all the time, but there's a lot more to it, but... It's kind of like your secret, you know? Yeah. No, I really love it. I'm from uh, Turner Station here, which is sort of, um, I don't know how you put it. Uh, it's on the edge of the city-county line. Okay. Like, back into a little corner. My geography of Baltimore isn't great. <laughs> but I, it's like when I go, I, I tend to hit the spots, you know what I mean? That I mm-hmm. go to and well, some of it's food-related and whatnot. You would have to have a friend or um, someone who you were, like, related to live there before you went out there. Right. Because you basically go through the harbor and you go through Canton and you go through uh, Fells Point and all of that stuff before you hit it. Yeah. Yeah. When you start running out of cool stuff, you're almost there. That's where you're about to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure, too. Well, maybe not. Was it a lot different growing up, the scene? is what it is now i feel like cities really go through a lot of changes for the most part yeah i mean it's a lot different but it's a lot the same um when i was growing up the city itself was like 70 80 percent black so it was a lot more uh it was a lot more of like a a chocolate city um it's it's very interesting because it's very segmented so uh you can go to the harbor you can go to fells point and you can see a ravens game you can see a an oreos game and then you could never really step outside of that because it's like it's right there but it's not right there right like it's a if you put me anywhere in baltimore city within four blocks i can find you something great and i can find you somewhere where you're in trouble right and that's like i've never been in any other city that's like that but, yeah, but, you know, I grew up in Turner Station out in Dundalk, and <laughs> it was tough, man. Yeah. Like, you know, it, I've never felt, um, what is it, I've never felt, like, worried or scared other places that something was going to happen. Like, people said New York was dangerous when I moved there. It's awesome. Like, yeah. I loved it. But, you know, I'm a Baltimore kid. I felt the same way, you know, there were, I skateboarded a lot when I was a kid, and we would go around the city in Pittsburgh finding different spots, and some of those spots were in some neighborhoods that were, you know, 
yeah. And you know, yeah. when when you move to New York, you think, oh, New York City, oh, Brooklyn, you know, whatever. And I never, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of times walking around in Pittsburgh. I mean, I got jumped a couple of times, you know, things that happened yep. that never happened to me in New York. Knock on wood. So, you know, I always felt like a lot of the the fear or the sort of intimidation of New York is just more lore than anything, or maybe size than anything else. Yeah, and it's also weird because this is like this city. Like, I've always it's always been like shooting, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember being in New York and somebody I was doing something and somebody threatened to beat me up, and I couldn't have remembered being like, wow. You're just gonna like, you're just gonna beat me up. Right. That's it, and then it's I can just gonna, like go home. It's not gonna go over I was like, that. That's, that's so sweet. That is so sweet. <laughs> I can handle that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can handle that. It's funny because uh, when you say skateboarding, I skated a little tiny bit when I was a kid, and one of my friends, uh, Tim, like he used to obsess over this guy who was like two years ahead of us, and he turned out to be Bucky Lasik, oh, and nice. I gave up. Yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, nah, man. That dude like, nah. would get some serious air. That was his thing, right? Yeah. He was a vert guy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like, air. Yeah, that's, that's such a weird, like, place. Yeah. So, you know what's funny? Ever since you said Chocolate City, I can't get P-Funk out of my head now. It's just going, <laughs> it's like background. Can yeah. I just lay this into the podcast as like a subtrack? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but and that I, intro is so long where they talk about chocolates. You know what I'm talking about? It's now it's just going through my head. <laughs> Get it? But like, I will never claim Baltimore as Chocolate City because that is DC's moniker, DC, of course, from yeah. back in the day. Yeah, so yeah, but that song when you hear those two words together, yeah. that's what hits my head. You know, B funk. Um, what? So a little bit into skateboarding, but what was the music scene growing up? What were you into? Uh, <laughs> well. Hip hop, like hip hop back and forth. And we had like amazing hip hop artists here. But <coughs> the weird thing hey, about we, Baltimore when I. Are hmm? we of a similar generation? Um, I'm probably older than you are. What year were I you? I got born? you by a bit. 74. We're the same exact age, buddy. <laughs> well, 11 11, so. 12 2. You got me beat yeah. by less yeah. than a month. International corduroy there. <laughs> like, what can you claim? Um, mine is, uh, what is it? Well, Britney Spears was born it's the same day as me. That's big. Mm. Mm. I, that I think either. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, really? Was the same day, yeah. Because nice. my dad likes to throw it up in my face. I don't know why. <laughs> it's, it's a bummer one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, he throws it up like it's an insult. Like, that means something to me. <laughs> like you're responsible or a, yeah. uh, something that you know your your soulmates in some way yeah like I'm responsible for everything he's done and like he's overshined shining me for some reason okay. oh you didn't live up to his yeah. potential I guess oh yeah well <laughs> you know so but yeah I mean I grew up you know I think maybe rap hit my I had a friend growing up who him and his cousin were big fans of like Houdini and stuff like that, you know? So I got nice. into it kind of early, but then I hung yeah. out with some kids at school who were like, yeah, you know, we don't listen to rap. Like it was like not cool. <laughs> and then like, you know, those were like the new wave kids and it was like a line there, but we grew up, mm. we traversed some serious 
good music growing up. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because I grew up, I remember the first time like hip hop hit me. Like Houdini didn't do it, Run DMC didn't do it, but Eric B and Rockham. And like. Caden Full. That yeah. cassette tape. I feel like I I know it so well. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Just a, it's a yep. cassette. I can me, feel it. Like it. you yeah. mentioned it, I can feel it. Like what about LJ? Yeah. Because uh, that was a that cassette tape too. I had was really was it bad? Is that the record? Yes, it was. It was um bad was the song, but uh, what was the record called? Uh, I forget what the record was called, but the record was something different than than yeah. I'm bad was. No, the. It was bad was the album. I'm bad was the song. There you go. That's close. Yeah. Tangential. Yeah. The stuff yeah, you remember. Some good. Some good. Yeah. yeah Eric B and Rakim. And uh, yeah. I mean Rob Bass was around then and Dudley yep. Fresh. Mm-hmm. This is some good stuff. Oh, there was great stuff. And then like all of the Native Tongues came out, and like me and my friends were a little more in the De La Soul than we were like the hardcore West Coast stuff, except for the good stuff. Because, like, I mean, good music beats all. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it might be, maybe it's an East Coast thing, too, because I remember making my parents drive, begging my parents to drive me to the mall to pick up people's instinctive, that tribe cassette. (laughs) Yeah. And bringing it back, I remember looking, remember when artwork for a cassette was, like, really key? And you'd when you it. when you got to fold it open, and you were like, "Yeah, so good, yeah." But yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. That was Brand amazing. Libyans. Oh, we could go. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyways. So yeah, music <laughs> was a big part of growing up. I take it. Yeah, music was a huge part of growing up. There is a huge music scene here, but it's really hard for people to break out of here. Like when I was coming up, there was definitely a community, but there really wasn't a way to get any attention from right. from bigger and like when i moved to ohio i was surprised at the way that people um supported musicians versus baltimore and this might be different but here it was always like the hookup and it was always like oh you're performing get me in free oh you right. oh yeah he's all right but like out there it was like oh ben's man is performing let's go like yeah. we're all gonna go, and we're gonna drink up the tab, so he, so he makes a b- lot of money, and and they get him back. Yeah. Like, what are you guys about? <laughs> so, it's just, yeah. I think the saddest part about Baltimore that gets me still is that people who get really su- successful have to leave to become yeah. successful, and then come back. Right. I always so. wonder too with Baltimore, because it, it's so close to DC. You know, there's a lot going on around it that it becomes Mm -hmm. a little overlooked or decentralized or something. Look, I would get all types of hell for this, but Baltimore is what New Jersey is to New York. And like, there's nobody who's going to think Jersey city is the same as Brooklyn. Right. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. I love Baltimore more than DC. And I think DC is whatever. Um, Like I have love for it, but it's like, meh. but there's no way we're going to get that kind of attention. Well, maybe that's there's something to be said for that, though. Like, you can work. I mean, like, would John Waters exist? You know what I mean? In the way that he does, if he didn't have, you know, growing up in Baltimore. You know what I mean? It's. I feel like there. Yeah. You can, being slightly, 
off the radar, not off the radar, but you know what I mean, not the center of attention can enable you to express yourself maybe in a different way to where you don't feel like you're under the microscope. I agree that the, the way that we grow up makes the talent amazing, but I don't see a lot of people who can survive off of just the talent and the work. You got to leave. And you got to leave. That's where you get the attention once you leave. And then people are like, Oh, yeah. Survive there. Really? I mean, you, you, you can do it, but you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like, you got to get out of there. Yeah. Then you can go back there if you want. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's hard here, man. Yeah, it's hard to make a dent because, you know, it's it's not as loud, you know, but there's a real beauty to the the quality of life. And I think a lot of that is provincial towns, you know. There's yeah, I mean, beauty to it. it's still like, you know how you go around the country and you see places that's just like other places? Yeah. Like Baltimore isn't like that yet. Right. And New York is never like that, but... Like, you know, you get to, I don't know, the West Coast and you see a town that's the same as a town on the East Coast. Right. That kind of brings up the same energy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, so you got music. Um, what about creativity? Were you always into drawing and, I don't want to say comic books, but cartoons and stuff like that? Um, I was always, I was always into drawing. I was always into painting. Um, painting more than drawing. Um, but, you know, my mom did it. My brother did it. It was just one of those things where you're like, oh, like everybody does this. What, you can't paint? <laughs> like, come on. Everybody can paint. It's easy. You just do this. So, like, <laughs> it was that. I don't think I ever really wanted to do comics as an art form. Yeah. Like, uh, I think I was always a different type of artist than that. Because I love comics. It's how I learned how to read. Like, it's literally what got me, like, oh, reading can be interesting. These stories are fun. Because the drawings, the art next to the the stories were amazing. But I don't yeah. think I wanted to replicate that. Right. Yeah, because I, you you know, know. I, I was reading about the fact that you, you know, were an abstract artist for a long time. You were making abstract yeah. work. So. But that's, I, I, I do think that growing up in an environment where drawing and painting is just like, oh, you don't do that? That's not very common. <laughs> is it? It's just so, yeah. It's so weird. Well, I mean, drawing is as, as sort of like, you know, you give kids crayon. It, it's part of mm-hmm. your life. But, you know, a lot of parents aren't doing it, and it's, it's not always fostered in a heavy way, you know, which is kind of nice. I mean, my parents were blue-collar people, my mom colored in coloring books. That was the extent of <laughs> art or creativity yeah. in the house. You know what I mean? So, but there was something in that watching someone just coloring or having these stack of coloring books and coloring them in is pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. My mom really like, she's all over the place, man. She was like doing graphic design when I was younger. Um, she co-taught, well, she was like one of the people who helped teach a course on, creative quilt making. Oh, nice. Like, so she's a quilter who, like, was teaching kids how to creatively make. This is over at MITA. Um, like, uh, her, her co-teacher came up with the course design, and she was, like, the co-teacher with it. And, like, now she's doing Silversmith. So, like, I'm, like, you know, 
going from one thing to the next, uh, mm-hmm. doing artistic things, I think the, the biggest thing she ever gave me was, and I didn't know this when we were younger, she always did what she wanted to do. Like, she's very mellow. She's very kind. She's very soft-smoking. But if you told her to do a whole bunch of things, she wouldn't be like, oh, no, 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 no. she would just say, no, that's nice. That's nice for you. Right. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Tell me how it will, how it goes. Like she just, and you know, and my dad would take us to museums, and he would we would be looking at like Matisse, and he would be like, ah, you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> like we're like ten, right. so. Wait, we had you a good. That you could do that as like you could do this as a thing to do with your life, or like oh, that quality is something you could achieve. <laughs> you could actually paint that. Like right. that quality is something that you could achieve. You could do that. I've seen you paint. You could. And he was so like matter of fact with it that well, it wasn't even right. like the, a lot yeah. of a lot of second graders can bang out Matisse's and they don't even know it. Then they hit the fifth grade and it's all like garbage after that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when they finally realize that people are looking, and, yeah, they get self conscious or whatever. The freedom dies and it's all like I'm making mm. art now. And then it's like you know you lose that. Schwab yeah, that'll kill anybody. Yeah. Like, I've got to make this masterpiece. Yep. Nothing crushes your sort of art ambitions like art ambitions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Like, it's like that really great um, sketchbook that's like extremely detailed that nobody can draw in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, there's always, I feel like, you know, it's, especially in art school or teaching, you realize there's so many people in their drawings that just nail it. They just have this certain mm-hmm. magic. And as soon as they try to like scale it up or paint it or make it more official or something, it just, you know, kills the, the vibe of it. I think there's the, like the ones who draw it first and then scale it up and kill it. Yeah. And like the little drawing is so good. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm lucky with the kids I have to, I'm worried about like when you stop giving them assignments. <laughs> like you're like, oh, you do something. Yeah. And they're just like, I don't know what to do. Like, oh, what a, it's the hardest what, part. What, yeah. Right. Always the easiest part for me. Oh yeah. Well, you can get to that part. I feel like, you know, learning the way you, people can generally learn the way to do something over time or whatever, but it's the ideas that are really tricky. You know, and you see that a lot when, when kids leave, and you know what happens to all of us. When you leave school and you're out of that, you don't have the critiques, you don't have the classes, you don't have all that. Mm. You're like, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's such a great position to be in when you're in those classrooms. You never know. Yep. Like you're you don't like, know what you got until it's gone. Yeah, I mean, I tell them, like, no one will ever care about you this much. Again, right. like talk to each other. Yeah, that's true. And you'll never have that much time in studio space oh, yeah. and all that stuff. I liken yeah. it to it's like in school you want to be that snowball going down a hill, and you want to get enough speed and momentum that even when you bust out of the or you get down from the mountain where it's cold and it's warm out, you can still keep moving because you have so much momentum. Otherwise, you're just going to melt away if you're not going fast enough. You know what I mean? You're just going to get out of school. And yeah. Like, what am I going to do? I can't 
find a studio. I don't know what to do. And you just give up. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause that's like, you don't want to let that like final show be the climax of what you're doing. Yeah. That's because then goal. it's like you finish something. Right. And those first two years out of any school is difficult. It is crickets. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Just you and your friends. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah. 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 Nobody has time to get together to talk about art. Like, right. Everybody yeah, is gone different places. Yeah, mm-hmm. you pay rent and hope, you know, the few hours that you have when you get home from work until you go the next day, go to sleep, that you make some stuff, you know? Yeah. Or at least think about some stuff. Like, like right. you have enough energy when you get off of work to not sit down and just like zone out, eat a pizza and go to sleep. Definitely. You know, a lot of people say, you know, you don't need grad school or what good is it? You know, you can do it yourself or whatever. And I think that can be true if you're motivated and you're self-driven and all that. But I will say the one advantage of going to a rigorous school is that you feel, whether it's real or not, there's like a seriousness to it that gives you, mm. if if you buy into it, you feel like, yeah, I want to do this. Like, I got to do this. Like, you feel like mm. it's essential to make this stuff, you know? And you kind of have to have that mindset going into it or else, you're ne- like you said, you're just going to chill out and watch Netflix, you know? There's a lot of stuff on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a ton of work, other things to, you know? there's to other stuff to do. Yep. There will always be something taking up your time. Yeah. But no, that's a great point, especially being around a bunch of people who also believe that there's some reason to make this stuff, right. that it's important to be out there and to do. Yeah, and community matters. Yeah, a ton. But it's also that structure. I don't know about your grad school experience, but like you had to make it into the studio. Like you had to do the research. Yep. Like uh, the classes were like there were one or two classes that you had to go show up to, but it was mostly interacting with your peers and interacting with your advisors. Yeah. So like you got to get it together at some point, you got to come up with your own schedule and how you're going to make work. Yeah. It's like big boy time. You gotta, it's like, it's up to you, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. But still, still a little bit of trading wheels. Like, yeah, right, right. It's you're like, around people who care. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're right. going to be, someone's going to let you know if you don't show up for a week or something, they'll say something yeah. to you. <laughs> But yeah. then out, out of school, no one, like you said, yeah. no one cares anymore. You know, no one's gonna mm-hmm. be checking in like, "Hey, man, you're working, right?" Just want to make sure you're making something. <laughs> Nobody's showing up at the studio. Like, I don't think you have enough paintings. Right. Like right. you only did one this three month session. Yeah. What are we gonna do? No one cares. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Well, was your uh, did you having like drawing and having creativity in the household and something that was just there, when did it become something that you felt like you were tied to in a way? Like, I don't know if it's sometimes it's high school art class or when you're getting ready to go to college or if you get to college and you're thinking, Oh, this might be something I want to do. How did it, when did it hit that next tier of like, Oh, this is something I might want to do more often than just, you know, the thing we do once in a while. Um, it's it's hard to say because there are a couple of different uh, points. But I I will tell you this. I was working in Richmond, and I was I was working and I was making good money, and I had like all of the stuff that you build yourself up to have. Like I went to community college, and then I went out and started working. And 
I was like, I was working and I came out and this guy whose house I was working on said, oh, like, what are you doing? I'm like, um, you're doing this. He's like, oh man, you work here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got people under you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, you only got to do this 30 more years, man. You're all set. (laughs) And that's the moment I knew I had to do. Yeah, that was, (laughs) I could see it like 30 years. And a lot of people just want to put in their 20, 25, 30, and then get out and do the rest of their life. And God bless them. If you know you want to do that, go for it. I'd rather do the stuff that I keep wanting to do and just do that all the time. Like all the, and I think I get that from my mom. But honestly, like I was out of work for a while thinking about what I was going to do. And it came down to two things. It came down to math and it came down to art. And I knew I'd still be painting if I was a math something. So might as well go with the thing that you're always going to do. Yeah, right. It's that adage of I'd rather, you know, like it. Well, if you love what you do, if you're into it, you're not really working. So you can, that 30 years doesn't feel quite like maybe you want 40 or 50 or forever, you know. Yeah. The hard part is it's, it's like having a kid. It's like the child is amazing. They are special, and I love, like, I love my kid more than anything else. It's all the stuff around. Like, it's like teaching them how to do stuff. It's like temper tantrums. It's like all the parenting stuff is work. So, like, I can paint from here to the night, no problem. But, like, the paperwork stuff, oh, the yeah. making sure I'm on point stuff, like, I might have doubled, like, I might have, thought about it a little bit more if I knew I'd have to do all that. Right. Yeah, yeah, that aspect of it. Although I do think it's compared to other jobs, it's way Mm. less of a percentage of, you know what I mean, of the BS. Well, the problem is I care. Like, (laughs) I've worked office jobs, and I can go in from 9 to 5 or like 9 to, like 8 to 5, 9 to 4. I can go in and I can do that work and not think about it at all. And the moment I'm out of work, I'm like, I don't remember that I worked there. Yeah. But like, this stuff I care about. So it's like, I have to do it. And I have to do it well. You know, working on that. Yeah. It, it, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so did you feel when you made that sort of mental decision the fork in the road to choose the art road that was that inspiring and liberating and you went full out on it yeah well it's really nice to know what you're going to do right yeah i think that's we're talking like life things yeah it's like that's a cheat code to life because we all know a lot of people just never figure out what they want to do and and if i always feel guilt that like, oh, I found this thing that I love and when I do it, I'm not really working. I mean, I love to do this stuff. And then there's other people who, like you're saying, who just are like, okay, let me get the least innocuous job, just get it over with so I can retire. It's like almost like wishing for, you know, getting closer to your death or something. I don't know. It's sad. I mean, having it be a cheat code for life is, yeah, that's the perfect way to put it. My dad drives a truck for a living. Like, he's not a truck driver. Like, I'm an artist, and, but he's not a truck driver. He drives a truck because he, he, it's easy for yeah. him. Like, he goes in, he comes home, all he wants to do is sit on the couch, watch a little TV, eat a little food. He's good. 
but like he's never really found that thing that he wanted to do. Uh, that was my dad's job. He was a truck driver. Oh, right. same thing. And and he, yeah. you know, when he was growing up, he had you know a bunch of brothers, and his mm. dad, my grandfather, passed away when he was like I think ten years old or something. And then his mom went. Oh, my grandmother went blind like two years later, raising all these boys. So it's not like. You know, there's not choosing what you want. You know, it's like yeah. dirt port. Like, you know, you just do, you get a job. You know, it wasn't like, yeah. I want to go out there and find what I want to do in life. It was like, nope. It's like you just go out and get a job, you know. So I didn't even have the luxury to think about, you know, oh, I'd like to do this or like to do that. So there's that. Luxury, and I would say, you know, I would say that is the perfect expression of what Baltimore is for like half the population. Yeah. Like they... Because you have to get to a certain point where your stomach is full, you have a place to, to rest, and you know you're not getting fired tomorrow right. before you can actually think about what you want your life to be. Definitely. That's Pittsburgh, yeah. too, I think. It's a very blue-collar town. I think a lot of provincial towns are like that, you know? It's oh, I'd love for this city to be blue-collar. It is, since the, like, the plants have closed, uh, there's nothing here for, as a job. Yeah. Like, there is no industry. But it was so, when you were growing up. More so. uh, it was on its it was on its way out. Like we had Bethlehem Steel too. I know you must have had it in yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, definitely. But we had one of their other plants that made like the big steel things. My uh, Baba worked there. My stepfather, and like it was a solid job. Yeah. But it, when I graduated high school, I couldn't get it because right. like he already knew it wasn't going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, my other theory on that whole not being able to find the thing you want to do, like, because you're just trying to find a thing to do to survive, yeah. let alone <laughs> yeah. what you want to do. I think that's why sports are so big. It's because it gives people mm. a, an exit or something else to think about when they get home from work, you know, to like root for the team or just, like, get in there. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's an escape in a way, just in the same way, like, art. Like, if I go to a museum, mentally I escape reality for a little while i mean there's things that pull me into reality but in this sort of like parallel universe it's nice in the same way music listening to music can take you out of it you know you can yeah. detach for a little bit which is really valuable especially considering you know our world <laughs> is that grim yeah. is that dark i mean <laughs> unfortunately it's too true because like sports it really can do that for you like you can spend all summer, like, my dad will have every football, every baseball game running in the background. Like, I'll go over his house, there won't be a baseball game on. But, like, I used to love football. And then I went to the Ohio State University and found out I just kind of like it. And then, you know, after a while, I quit it. Yeah. There's still a little taste of it, but, like, you can really get involved. And you oh, can yeah. really let a lot of your stuff go with it. Yeah. And if that gives you joy, like... I'm, I'm not taking joy out of people's hands. Right. But like when you're focused on one thing and you just leave all of the stuff that could make you happy away on the other side, it, it, may, it saddens me a little. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's, it's easier to have that angle if you do have something in life that you love to do. But if you don't, then you're looking for this external escape. Not mm. like the thing I can do to get myself out of this, but... It's almost like I got to find something else to invest my brain into this sort of like 
relax. Yeah, or it's like play. it's like watching TV, so you don't have to think. Right. Yeah, suspension Which, of disbelief. You know, like when you're in the I need that. I need that sometimes. Yeah, totally. Like, we, we all do. You know, that's why yeah. there's TM or you know whatever yoga or yeah. anything to get you out of like that the the loop of of you know day to day life stuff. Yeah, it's hard. Definitely. You know, I I took in uh, grad school, I took a really good class, and it was based on music, but it was about, you know, music moving from Africa to South America up the Mississippi and the movement of music. And we did a lot on Sun Ra, whose whole thing was about escapism, you know, specifically to the civil rights movement. And I found that so fascinating that, you know, he created this parallel universe in his mind, like it... The shit was so bad that he had to like come up with like an alternate <laughs> planet to live on in his mind so he could deal with the BS of, you know, day-to-day stuff. But I think there's a parallel in creativity that all artists in a way are kind of doing that. You know, we're creating this another universe in the work to conceptually live or uh, navigate our current situation, you know? Yeah, and share. Like, right. all of our paintings, like, invite other people in to share in that universe and hopefully give them that escape for a minute. Right. Or give them the opportunity to see into that world. Right. Hopefully. I'm a, that's, I mean, that's the yeah. great ask of artists. Yeah. It's like, hey, would you please witness my brain for a couple minutes and maybe think about this stuff? You know? And hopefully... <laughs> <Yeah. they don't. laughs> but that's the risk, you know? It's like a movie, you know... You're, they're going for two hours. They're going to watch it, you know, and they're probably going to be more into it just because they're watching it, but they may not, it may not hit the same way, you know? Well, I mean, I had a class in undergrad, speaking of, where uh, a movie class, where the first thing the teacher said was like, the experience of being in a movie is like you're in a dominated S&M relationship. You have chosen to go and sit down and be quiet in the dark for two hours and be subjugated to somebody else's vision. Right. So just as long as you understand you made that contract, like, it's what it is. Yeah, that's power. And people buy into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It ain't cheap either. <laughs> no. None of it is. Like, but that, I think that's the power of escapism, you know, of, of, of taking a, a break from the mind for a couple hours. Because when you, you know, yeah. it's that beautiful thing when you watch a really engaging movie and you walk out afterwards and the the door opens and the light hits and you're like, what the hell? I, would, I just checked <laughs> yeah. out of our universe for two hours. <laughs> and you're just like, it's like blacking sort out. Sort of grasping in the dark, yep. but you're in the light and you're just like, all right, I got to get it back to normal. It's going to take a couple of hours. Yeah. yeah, it's always a weird adjustment. Speaking of Mattress Factory, it's kind of like the Terrell room where you go in and you walk down the hallway oh, and it's cool. really dark and you come out of that thing and you're like, what the hell just happened to me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I had, that was an experience, right? It really I is. just like, I can't explain that to someone else. Like, but when I think about it, it's, it's like, I hate the people who um, say, so what do you think as soon as you walk out of the movie theater? <laughs> right. Like, I don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah, <laughs> like, I just saw it. <laughs> I need to process. And those are probably the same people who, were, like, if they were painters, would go around and ask people what they thought while they're in front of their painting. Yeah, while they're looking at it. Yeah. Like, we could put somebody on a, on a hot poker. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> give me a minute here. <laughs> yeah. Do I lie to you or do I really like it? Well, it's a good thing we're not getting... Uh, it's a good thing we're moving away from uh, needing to take a long time to react to something. <laughs> it's like you either double tap it instantly or it's gone. You know, it's like yeah. our our curatorial critique of existence is so immediate now. Nothing I mean, is a slow burn. I think um, advertisement and all of America has been trying to figure out how to get you like to pay attention and give you that dopamine hit for so long yeah. that it's, it's like those machines that do this and have the spinning, like, uh, it's like those machines in Vegas, the one arm bandits. Machines. Yeah. 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 It's the same thing. Like you've got a bunch of blinking lights, a bunch of turning things, yeah. and then you get your reward and then you got to put in that quarter. So let's swipe up yeah. or swipe sideways. I love it. Like I'm so worried, but I love it. Yeah, it's addictive, you know. It's all yeah. marketing stuff, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, marketers have been spending billions of dollars a year trying to figure out how to get you to buy Crest instead of um, Colgate. Like, so like, there's a little bit of information there. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot more than, like, <laughs> one class in college did for me. Right. Yeah, I know when you, if you... If you tinker with algorithms and like look into it, it is uh, it's daunting. The amount of like, yeah, you know, what's a social media? What was that movie? Uh, anyway, yeah, there's just so much legwork put into you know getting you to buy. At the end of the day, is just getting you to buy stuff. It's like, damn, yeah, is that important? You know, <laughs> you are a data point. Let that I be learned. It, it's a, it's it's amazing that what you know buying things and capitalism will do to the drive of a society, you know, and the ways it permeates to your life. And I guess that's why as visual people, you know, we, we have a lot to, to mine here because it's all visual. Yes, it is. It's all like, it's all visual information coming at you at a speed you don't recognize. It's trying to get you to do something. Right. And I don't know. I don't know how many artists are going to be needed to walk that back or walk it sideways. But I feel like, I feel like people are aware of it now. And yeah, it's just not, yeah, we're not happy about it. And I mean, you're, you're the same generation I was. Uh, you remember when grunge happened Yeah. and none of them knew how to advertise to like these kids were doing this stuff and were outside of environments. And then they found the X Games and they found like Mountain Dew and they found X everything and they were like, oh, no, we figured it out. Yep, we got here you. It is. Here's the yeah. lane. <laughs> yeah. You had it for a minute. Right. We're back. Yeah, it's like so, they, they learn how to categorize that stuff or like, you know, pin it together in a way that's. Yeah. But we have a strange. Um, relationship because we were pre we saw the build up and now we're seeing you know the fast lane of it all you know and i look at yeah. my, you know having a teenager who's grown up in this stuff it's i don't they're gonna it's just different for them they're not quite so worried about it or it's just their natural <laughs> habitat i guess which makes sense That's so they'll be better at navigating it than we will let's put it that way 
Yeah, I hope. I hope. I, I don't know. But, like, it's not, like, it's any different from when we, we were coming up. Of course. Like, My parents feared the oh. TV. Our, our yeah. generation thought the TV was just going to, we are all going to all walk around like, like <laughs> Yeah. Bring that and then life. they figured out we would sit in front of it and it was a babysitter. Yep. So. And we're like, all right. We'll let you take <laughs> the wheel, Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah. Cool. You know, it, 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 but there was that, you know, video games too. I remember when Atari came out mm. and we're talking Pong here, people. It was like two sticks and a ball and they were like, yep. oh my God, they're never going to do anything anymore. They're going to be, you know, stuck to this black and white TV. And, you know, it's people, I, I think what ultimately what ends up happening, at least I'm hopeful or guessing and judging by, like I said, having a teenager and seeing how it's entering in. I think it just becomes your medium. Like you navigate hmm. the ups and downs or the the quirks or within the medium itself. Do you know what I mean? So it's Yeah. It's hard to explain. Yeah, it's sort of it's like a, we weren't we knew T V wasn't real. Right. Like nobody was thinking that we were the Huxtables. Right. But like my kid is only four. So I wonder. Like, my goddaughter is that college age, and she's, like, a little bit between that. Like, she came up, but she didn't get a phone at, like, eight. Yeah. Like, she didn't have, like, Instagram until she was older. So I, I really wonder. Because what happens is there's, like, a small subset that does go way overboard. Right. And that becomes what drives the conversation. Well, yeah, that's, you know, that's with everything, right? Because, like, yeah. you know, remember, well, when video games came out, there were some people who just sit there and play whatever it was all day and all night. You know, I logged some Look, I know a guy. Mario hours. <laughs> I, like, I know, if, I have a friend who goes to his job, comes back at five, and, like, video games is all. Yeah. Like, he used to live in, a, in the house with, like, three other people, and they all thought the same way, and they all would come home from their job. And it was just video games sometimes against each other, sometimes in, in each individual room. But, like, I can't say that I'm not like that about art and, and other stuff. Good point. Like, so, hey. It could be addictive personalities, too. Like, no matter what the environment, there are going to be certain people who just rabbit hole stuff and just get lost mm -hmm. in it, you know? Yeah. It just might be a wiring thing, you know? Although I would love for it to be video games rather than like a drug substance. Of course, yeah, definitely. Like, and that's yeah. a big problem that we've had here growing up. You know, that's another weird thing, though. You know, like having a teenager. You know, they're mm -hmm. all on their phones all the time, but they do, as a whole, drink less and party less than like we did as a generation. Oh, that's interesting. They don't like to drink. That that's much. so interesting. Huh, because I, I didn't drink a lot, but I did at one point go out every day for almost an entire six months. Like, and like, I, I don't know any kids who do that. Yeah, that was, I think part of it was boredom. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, there's nothing else to do. Might as well go out and do whatever they're doing, yeah. you know. Yeah, I had, to, I had to go out and do something. That. Don't you think, like, yeah. part of that, you know... I mean, there's that old adage that, like, 
being bored fuels creativity because you start to invent things, you know. That's interesting. I don't know that I ever find myself bored. Like, without things to do. But I remember saying I was going to go out every night. But it's interesting with the bored aspect, with the phone and with the apps and with the everything. You don't ever get that, hit that bored stage, do you? That's what I mean. Or do you just, when we were kids, you know, we had time where you were just, there's nothing to do. So you just start, Yeah. you know, we dig in the dirt and like create things or make, make up games yeah. or whatever. And that and stimulates yeah. a certain amount of creativity. I think now it's just like the creativity is filtered through all this amazing stuff that you have at your fingertips all the time. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to be like so excited to bring out the next amazing stuff. They're going to be like, oh, this is good. But you know what I want it to do? Right. I want it to connect directly to my retina. It's coming. I want to be... Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> we'll all be in the Matrix soon. Um, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's pull it back to reality. So mm. let's let's go back to school. Like, when did you start painting painting? You know what I mean? Because you were, I mean, and what were these abstract paintings I hear about? Like, what, what got you into it? How did it happen? Uh, so, ooh, I was painting all along the way. Like, even when I was working in Richmond, I was painting, and I was doing all of this painting. And when I decided to become a painter was maybe 2000 ish. And I was working on stuff and I was trying to take like courses at the same time. Uh, then I got out of my job and had some time off. And then I painted the worst painting that I have ever seen in my life. Like it was the worst, like everything about it was terrible. It was well painted, but like the idea was terrible. The execution was terrible. It was like it was like a really bad pop song, not like a good pop song, not like "Party in the USA." <laughs> but yeah, it was just like bad, bad. And I was looking at it, and I had these other paintings around it, and I was like, I don't know enough. And I was like, I need to. Like, I need to know more. And so I went back to school then. Like, that ended up being, like, 2003-ish. And I went to Maryland because they had an outstanding art history program and a studio art program. So my dad lives right around the corner from Micah. Mm -hmm. But I wanted the art history as well. So, I mean, yeah. I would consider, like, when I was at Maryland, it broke. Because I was like, oh, the way I was thinking about it was sideways. I was, and you know, painters can paint whichever way they want to. But I wasn't really interested in generative paintings from music or from uh, starting on a canvas and then finding the idea in the middle of the painting. And to some level that's what I was doing and then like when I got to Maryland like conceptualism really I was like oh that's what's been missing it's not finding the painting in the middle of the painting it's knowing what the painting is knowing what you want to say knowing what you want to do and then finding the way that you're going to do that and sometimes it changes in the middle sometimes it's different but as long as you have that focus of this is what it is 
like you have that for you or I have that for me. Like the painting can become whatever it has to become. Right. Wow. So, so, yeah. so you had your roadmap. Well, how, when you talk about the, the pre-stage of that as being mm-hmm. finding the painting and, and painting it, how did you come to that process? Because that's actually an accelerated idea. It's almost like, you know, like, uh, you know, Coltrane, like, you know, yeah. like a Love Supreme yeah. as opposed to like, you know, kind of blue or something where it's, you know, you're the, the, the reason kind of like grows out of the, the improvisation of it as opposed to just, oh, I like that face. I'm going to paint that face. You know what I mean? Well, it seems I had, like a pretty yeah, basic yeah. idea. I, I feel like I had been through the representation phase like pretty early when I was in community college and, and I wasn't interested in representing reality exactly because, you know, I kind of felt like it was, it was already here. Like not to get all three chairs on you, but I felt like it was already in existence and there was something else that I wanted to do. I had this idea that, and this is silly, but I had this idea that the universe looked almost like, um, what would you call it? Like an atom. Like, you had a central cluster, like, not protons and neutrons, but like the sun, and then you had orbiting bodies around it. And so, out of that, I thought that if the big and the small were the same, then I only had to find something that resonated with me while I was doing it. It was precise with me, and that would resonate with other people. And that, like, that worked out in a lot of my abstract stuff. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's in my philosophy now. Like, the paintings I paint are extremely personal, and I just trust that that personal message resonates with other people. Right. You know, it was funny when you were talking about the quilts. Mm-hmm. Right, because I, I read... You know, in an, I believe it was an interview, you were talking about how you couldn't really find in abstraction what you wanted to say necessarily. Like you had to go back to representation to sort of tap into that. Yeah. But in thinking about quilts, quilts is such a great example of an abstract process, which is very much tied to an experience, which becomes very personal and very narrative in a sense of, you know, tradition, sort of work culture color all that stuff so yeah you know i i'm always interested in that when it comes to the line between abstraction and representation and you know what you're able to say or it does abstraction necessarily mean it's got to be some formal you know discussion about you know just color and light or whatever or can it actually tap into something you know like one of my teachers byron kim when i was in skowhegan you know i was always loved his work because it was abstraction but it was very much about the human experience and it was very personal you know and that was like the power of it but i'm interested in to hear about how you made that move from you know the way you felt about what you could say in abstraction and then what you could say in representation yeah i think <clears throat> abstraction is much more of a philosophical way of my think, it's my philosophical way of thinking. Like it would be the bookworm side of me. It's the side of me that wants to go into a library and basically spend ten hours there 
and come out with a notepad full of notes that all leads to something. And what I was doing, I was doing a couple of things, but at the time, the thing that really like pushed me in the way that I wanted to go in abstraction was I was painting individual brushstrokes on acetate, and then I was cutting out the brushstrokes, and then I was composing paintings on the wall with those brushstrokes. So um, sometimes they would be permanent, sometimes they would be semi-permanent, sometimes they would just all come down. And it's very much about the action and everyone knowing the action. Uh, what like painters love to talk about painting, that's what we do. And it was all about what was the least we could have to be a painting or have the artist mark. And a lot of that, a lot of that, it's still very interesting to me. Like I think most of the artists would know that you never do one thing at a time. Like there's usually multiple things happening. Right. Uh, there's something over there that needs to get done as well as the paintings you're working on here. And luckily when you can finish this painting, like you have other paintings you can finally paint. And the problem that I had in it was it didn't speak to a specific um, experience of mine. It spoke to an overall experience, a shared experience that all people could come to when they, when they saw it. Like it could be the experience of color, experience of form, the, uh, the, just a feeling that they get from it. But it didn't speak to a specific time. It didn't ground and it didn't express my feelings the way that I thought it could. And when I did these, it was never for anyone to see them. But, you know, Someone's things home. happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, it got <laughs> very specific. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. that I'm really compelled by that idea of like the macro, micro. Like it, it seems like you went from zero to 100. Because going from abstraction and then going to the comic pieces, the comic pieces are, they, I mean, they, they say what they're saying. You know what I mean? I mean, you, yeah. it, it may be delivered in a medium of, you know, of, of something that a lot of, you know, adolescents come to story making and they come to adventure and, you know, and, and also drama and fear or like, you know, uh, you know mis mystery and all that stuff. Which those things do really well, but you know, you, it's we know the message. You know what I mean. The message mm -hmm. is there, and it's it's clear, and it's it's you know almost. I feel like it's um, it's using the power of the directness of the medium of like what a comic book, who that's you know usually geared towards, and then you know, and then the reality of it. It's almost like when you see. It's not like that, but you know, it's something like South Park, which is the one thing that makes <laughs> South Park so punchy is that it's delivered in a medium that looks like it's for just you know little kids or whatever. But it's it's real adult. Yeah, it's real adult material. And the interesting thing for me is it can be so super specific to an exact moment, and it still has multiple so like ways to read it. Yeah, and so yeah. I think of them as all so specific and in a whole. It's almost like everything building up to tell a bigger story when each one is that huge story in itself. Right. And I was just talking about this. There's like, I don't know how you like math, but one of the things that interests me the most now 
is that you can multiply infinities. Like, we all think of infinity, and then somebody will say infinity plus one, and that's not real. But you can take an infinity and multiply it by an infinity and have a bigger infinity. And that's sort of how I'm thinking about them now. Yeah, it's pretty but that'll change. stuff, right? I, yeah. I mean, I listen to Star Talk. I get, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> stuff will blow your mind. Like, there's like, yeah. oh, wait, I, that's a whole other aspect of our existence or the universe that I never even thought of. It's like, wait a minute, there's multiple? Well, you know, it's, it's yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah, you can't wrap yeah. your, your brain around it, which is pretty, you know, compelling. I mean, it's, it's, it's like coming out of, a, out of a movie, you'll hear this mind-blowing thing, and then you'll, like, go upstairs and get something to eat. And you'll be like, oh, I'm just going to have this food. <laughs> I just found out the universe is, like, expanding faster than light exists, and I'm just going to eat? Like, right. It's okay. Something comforting in that. It's like, well, if I don't eat, doesn't none of that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I see yeah. the answers quicker if I don't eat. <laughs> At some point, you know, you just gotta like put the huge things that you can't handle to the side and get down to the business of living, right? Definitely. I, well, I mean, that's. I think that if we if we boil it down to, you know, our animal nature. I mean, we're here to just keep going in a way. You know. It's like, yeah. It's what we're programmed to do in a in some sort of, you know nature way i guess yeah. <laughs> yep, like, just make you know, one like, more of us yeah exactly it can you know you watch inception and you're like wait what like is this you know you, and then like to your point it's like yeah i gotta go get a bag of chips i'm hungry <laughs> mm -hmm. oh man i remember walking out of the theater from inception because my friend made me see it in uh what was it imax oh nice oh that's a deep Oh, it was dive. it was great until I walked outside and I was just like, I, just like, we're just gonna take the train home, right? So, I, like, is that I, are we on the same level? Is that level three or is that level four? Yeah, <laughs> you go underground. It's one of those ones like the six train where you go underground, then you got to go underground again, and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> spin a top and yeah. figure this out. You're just sitting in the chair and you're like rocking back and forth, and you're like, damn. Is this door leading to where I'm going? It's like, no, you don't think about it. That's just, just, I'm just going to go home. I will say that that is a good movie, though. Like, that's a sign of a good movie. Like, if you start yeah. to really scratch your head. And it, what's, what's great is my, it's like my son's favorite movie. He watch, we can watch that thing over and over again, which is really great. Nice. And right. nothing makes you feel older than when your kid can, can comprehend the concept faster than you. That's like a, a big pivot <laughs> in life. You know what I mean? Uh, not yet. So I'm yeah. going to... They get there. I already know she's smarter than me. Yeah. That's hard to tell. Right. Yeah, because she's... Like, she's looking at us and figuring things out. Like, how to play us. And I'm like, you're four. Like, yeah, no, we're not cool. getting pizza today. Come on, stop. <laughs> you can stop crying into the fridge right now. And she's like, <laughs> toast then. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah, like, it, 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 it is, and it, it, I feel like, I don't know, it's always a, a thing going back to the studio after anything, and like, and having yeah. that opportunity to sort of digest your experiences and stuff. So, in, in the work that you're doing now, like, are you only working, are you still, like, doing some abstract stuff, or doing, messing around with other stuff, are you pretty 
focused in on what you're working on now? I am still working on other stuff. Like, but what's interesting about this work is because each artist has an individual way of working, it's like working on new works all the time. Yeah, it's like re- so, not remixing, but you know, collaborating, really. Yeah. I don't know that they consider it collaborating, but yeah. For me, it's collaborating. <laughs> um, you know, you know. Oh, I, I mean, know. sampling is the same thing. I'm sure some people are like, hey, that's my song, but it's collaborating, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think of it every time I look at one, it's like, this story isn't true, and then I turn it into a true story, like a historical record. I'm like, yeah, that's good. Right. Which so, is funny because that the whole thing about those comics is that it's make-believe. You know what I mean? But like, mm-hmm. people get so into it that they... Or, you know, it's there's always an implied parallel metaphor for our reality or whatever. And maybe that's not quite... And maybe it doesn't hit on a nose like it should, you know? So I feel like you're probably bringing it closer to like, well, here's, here's maybe the narrative that it's, well, I think like a lot of people who don't read comics assume there's that narrative, but you probably know the ones like that have that narrative. Cause they're the ones that are always talked about. Right. They're the ones that are talked about that are good, but there are some just like some bad stuff. Like there's a lot of just like bad stuff. Oh yeah. Like, punch a guy in the face for no reason. Like just ridiculous superheroes, ridiculous villains. But, yeah, you know, for sure. yeah. I like stories. Well, how do you? Uh, I mean, this is a tangent, but um, I was never really into comic books. But at a certain point, when I was in college, I started getting into graphic novels because I, mm-hmm. I read some and I was like, "Oh, these are amazing!" You know, I didn't, I didn't know this world existed. And um, how do you? Are you into graphic novels? Because some of those are pretty good and have some pretty great messages the graphic novels are really interesting because when they really started to be uh become big um the artists who were making them understood that they could tell a story in this longer format yeah like the one-off comics they're going from issue to issue and they're pumping it out like month after month and you know, sales go down, they have to throw something in there that excites them. But in the graphic novel, you can spend six months, a year, crafting a story yeah. and then put it out all at once. So yeah, I like the graphic novels a lot more. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. And, you know, I had the... I was fortunate enough a, a few years ago to to sit on the uh, jury for the Lynn Ward Prize, which is given to the best graphic novel. So I was nice. sent, basically every graphic novel from that year to read. You know, I had to move through hundreds of these graphic novels. And it was, and to your point, there's a lot of crap out there, but there was amazing stuff and they touch on everything. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. every subject matter. And um, it was really impressive, you know, because there was ones that I gravitated towards just aesthetically that, oh, I like this. Others I just didn't read or whatever. But after doing that and sitting on that panel, I was like, I was really impressed with the breadth and the diversity of like the stories and, 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 you know, the way they're drawn and the depth of the narrative mm-hmm. and good stuff. Yeah. Some of them can be really amazing because they're not simply um, a bunch of issues thrown together. They're a complete yeah. story. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. It's almost, I guess yeah. it's like a script in a way, you know, it's almost like they're script writing, but they're just in a really great aesthetic way, you know? 
Yeah, well, it's the entire script. It's the entire movie, yeah. like, laid out for someone to see and do. So, Right. Well, how do you... So, I mean, how are you placing together or choosing? Is the cover... Is it, Well, I guess it's a combination of, like, some aesthetically pop. Some are begging for a redo where you're like, I know where that one should go. Or some are just, you know, tried and true um, brands or something that you want to work with. I mean, is that a combination of all of the above? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all you said, and then there's the idea of looking for a comic. Like, yeah. there's the moment that I'm trying to express that I just haven't found the right comic for. And like, one day it'll pop up, and I'll be like, oh, there it is. But yeah. It presents like, itself. Yeah, but there's some that are just begging for it. And I really enjoy them. And I'm really getting into the the older like Charlton comics stuff. Yeah. Because some, some of these stories are just so bad. (laughs) Well, it's like, you know, I grew up on cartoons and I feel the same way. Like, you know, some of them messed up. Like some of the old cartoons are just, I mean, some are amazing and some are just like, wow, that, that happened. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. I like, I watched that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're so, like, oh, you don't even realize what you grew up with. You know what I mean? Like, or grew up on. Mm-hmm. The stuff that's just there. Yeah. I guess same with TV shows and movies or whatever. But, yeah, it's like, and nothing makes you feel the time warp of the change. You know, it's weird. It's like, you know, like with what we're dealing with, with the past in the past few days with the news that's going on, you feel like a constant feeling of like, oh, well, like if you look back 50 years, you're like, oh, some serious stuff has changed. And then there's other times where you're like, man, nothing is changing. You mm-hmm. know, that's frustrating. It's like, I mean, it's so frustrating because some of the things that are changing and happening are going to take decades to walk back. Yeah. And, And it took so well, long other, to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like something is coming. Like it's either a total collapse of those who want to control you, or it's basically just a fight. Yeah. I mean, in the last few days, it's basically like I don't care about any more information, I care about arrest warrant. Right. Like, stop telling me stuff that's bad and go get people. Right. Like, I don't need to hear any more information. Anyone who's listened to it is like, well, somebody should go get somebody. Yeah, but I think we're in a feedback loop of, of, of just talking about things. Or, because everyone, in a way, if you think about it, everything's mediated now, right? So there's not a lot of mm-hmm. hand-to-hand whatever. You know what I mean? So... Everyone just tweets or chirps or comments or doesn't like or reposts or complains online or whatever. And it's not, I don't know that it's necessarily people's fault in a way because we're just programmed now to to interact that way. And (laughs) it prevents, in a way, like real change or real reaction, you know. So it's. Yeah, I think that's the, the problem that one party is having right now is that. They're, they're doing a lot of theatrics. Yeah. And they're doing a lot of stunts that show that they are on our side, but they're not actually doing the work. Right. Like, um, 
instead of I voted, it's like a I commented sticker. Right. Like I commented. Yeah. I, I, I did that. I changed my uh, my profile picture. I posted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I brought awareness to the situation to my large group of followers. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think to be honest too, though I I will say this I think a lot of t- a lot of people too, maybe not overtly like directly, but maybe through what we're living through and the way that we're mediated and you know reacting or our culture, is people have a fear of of really doing or saying anything or taking a stand or being too much or like of just being canceled or someone says I don't like that or whatever it is that there's this fear of of anything really where people just hide behind you know media or, or technology or you know yeah I think and that fear exists more in like the social space that it does in like meat space right like I don't think people know what to do like even the people who really want to do something, I don't think they have an idea of what a step is to get to the place that we need to go to. Yeah, like and I, I totally agree with yeah. that. I think that's a real problem. I think like if you let's just hypothetically, not to get too political, mm-hmm. take the two party system. Mm-hmm. There's a real feeling that like, how do we break that? I think yeah. How well, do I we think, do it? Uh, I think the Republicans have a really solid strategy for uh, dominating the system. And what yeah. they do is they, they exist hyper-locally. So they start with like boards, they move up to city councilmen, they move up to state legislatures, and then they slowly and surely uh, conglomerate. Like They bring small little companies of Republicans together. And like uh, what do you call it? Um, when you cut up a a district in a crazy way so that you can get a certain amount here and a certain oh, amount yeah. there. I know what you're uh, talking about. So, yeah, so they can take Louisiana and, was it Louisiana or Mississippi? Uh, and they can cut it up in a way that they reduce uh, the black vote by 50 percent like redrawing districts and well the electoral yeah. college too you know like gerrymandering yeah and yeah our, our, so like it, yeah go ahead sorry yeah uh i'm like i'm in maryland right now and the way the map is drawn is ridiculous yeah like uh i think four different districts cut through baltimore city and they do that because the democrats are doing the same thing here that republicans are doing other places so what they're doing is they're cutting out enough of the city to get Democratic voters to nullify the counties. Right. And so we have one Republican uh, legislator because all of the Eastern Shore is thrown to one Republican legislator. And every other district is cutting out enough of the Democratic uh, pockets just to turn them, like, democratic enough and it's it's as ridiculous as it is in the republican states but i don't care because i'm not about i'm not about being equal and being nice to people who aren't being equal and being nice right you know but that happens i'm not 
with the left. Yeah, I'm not to turn the other cheek like, oh, you push me down, I forgive you. I'm to turn the other cheek like, you push me down, I pretend to forgive you. When you turn around, I knock you out. Right. Because, like, and I don't think the Democrat Party is about that. No, I, I don't. I think they're, that's the thing. Like, if you're not willing to play dirty, you're going to get taken advantage of over and over. Or not I don't that, think they're we- willing to even play. you have to play. play dirty, but if you don't stand up to it, you know what I mean? Or don't. Yeah. Like, right now in the news, all this stuff about standing up to, you know, what happened in January, uh, you know, it, it's just all kind of like, feels like theater or something. It's not going to result in anything. Until it re- results in something, it is just theater. Yep. And, like, I don't see whipping people up into the base so nothing can... Ac- whipping up people in the base just so nothing can be accomplished. I don't see that as a victory. Right. So yeah. maybe they'll, like, maybe they'll raise the money. And it's, so, yeah. Certain know. victory. But there's yeah. that feeling, getting back to it, is just that, like, how? You know what I mean? Like, how is it actually going to change? And I think a lot of people get defeatist about it because it's just like, you know, like I've always thought the Electoral College was such a weird, antiquated, needs-to-be-go thing. Like, why should Iowa determine who the candidate... Like, it's just bizarre, but it just never changes. Yeah. Well, I don't even think people are... There's hope. Didn't they change daylight savings? Aren't they going to get rid of it? I'm not sure about that. It's like 50-50... Yeah. But, well, but all the odds are always 50-50. It could happen. It could. I think a lot of people just, like, I don't even think they are burnt out. I think they just try to live their life, you know? Like, if you're, like, from your father's family, like, you don't have time to be worrying about Iowa. Right. Like, you've got to get a job. Like, my dad doesn't have time. Like, when we came up, we didn't have time for that. We had to get fed. And we, like, before my stepfather came into the deal, like, my mother was doing it by herself, and we were far, 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 far from blue collar. Yeah. Like, that wasn't even a situation. So, like, until we got up to that, like, you know, it was an everyday struggle. Do you feel, this is one thing I wonder, um, do you feel, though, that outside of that quagmire, that young people are growing up and they are generally trending more inclusive or trending more just by media, maybe the power of media. Like, you know, you hear about it like in Iran where the government is really strict, but the people are very open, you know, whereas like it's that adage of like no one can like refute the MTV generate or the internet or whatever. It's going to be the great equalizer because <laughs> everyone kind of is knows what's out there except for North Korea where people have no or China where yeah, they don't true. let them access the internet or something but basically that you know free will and information will be power and that in the end will win over you know there will be or is you know, I don't even I, I'm not even sure it's free will the kids are amazing yeah like they are like so inclusive and so like determined but like they're just not in control yet that's what i mean like if i had their hope in that yeah i hope so because the problem is people get um knocked off course and they lose that fire yeah so like i think they will treat each other amazingly 
and they will force other people, I think, to, to do the same. But it's going to be a while for that, I think. Like, you could say for, for your son, like, how is he in terms of inclusivity and understanding and making a better world? Well, I mean, my son's biracial and he goes to school in Brooklyn where everyone is from everywhere. It's just, it's not an issue. No one talks about it. No one, they don't care. You know what I mean? Like it literally, I, yeah. I, I hang out with these kids, you know, and they just don't, you know, it, it does. it's never an issue. And the only time it's an issue is the way when the soccer team piles in the van and goes and plays a tournament somewhere outside in like Pennsylvania or Maryland or wherever. And then mm-hmm. they're like, man, it's white out here. <laughs> It's like the only thing, and even the white kids say that. You know, they're like, damn, it's, yeah. it's different out here. Yeah. But they don't care about yeah. it. They don't talk about it. And that's kind of like, you know, I made the shift because I grew up, you know, in Pittsburgh. You know, there was a little bit of diversity, but it wasn't like, you know, Brooklyn. And, you know, it, when you live in a city where you're surrounded by others, you, you, you're open up, you know, you, you learn about cultures and people and you... You know, I think most of um, racism and separatism is about ignorance and fear, you know, of what they don't know. So it's like if you're exposed to that. Well, it's easier to hate somebody you don't know. Exactly. Yeah, and if you grow up, I mean, it's it, again, bringing it back to like animal shit. It's like if you grow up and you're like a, a coyote, I don't know, you're some sort of animal and you're only around the animals you're around and all of a sudden like a bear comes in and you're like, what the, f-? you know, like. You're going to go into fight or flight because you just, you don't know what's going to happen, you know? And I think there's a little bit to that. It's like ignorance and like not having that experience of being around people of other cultures and stuff is, you know, breeds kind of, I don't know, you know, not good things. Yeah. But I haven't had a lot of experience with the isolated kids yet. So I don't... Yeah, I don't know, like, what's gotten into their head and what they're feeling. Because a lot of them, like, from the few that I've talked to, like, the one or two, it's completely, like, no experience, just what they've heard. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And it's weird here, because, like, the younger generation is very much influenced by their parents and grandparents. And I am not happy with how the city feels about inclusivity at this point. Yeah. It's just, and it's people my age, like, like our age and our parents. And I'm like, what, what? So. Yeah. Well, the one thing I will say though, is I feel like representation matters because now with the way that, you know, um, the media works and the fact that people everywhere see everything, you know what I mean? With the internet is that that can help. It, it's it's not a substitute for experiencing other people and being in other places. You know what I mean? But like, if you're exposed to it through media, then maybe you're less, I don't know, biased or you, you're, you have a little familiarity even if it's not firsthand and the right familiarity. You know what I mean? So in other words, like if you see cooking shows about eating this, that, and other foods from Thailand or from, you know, Ethiopia or from, you know, Iceland or whatever and then you go there and you see it you're like oh I know that that's fermented shark you know you're not <laughs> you may still yeah. have a hard time with it but you're familiar or something I don't know 
I'm like an optimist. No, I think that, I'm hopeful, and maybe that's stupid because, I, like, you know, the 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 world will tend to want to prove you wrong a lot. But I'm hopeful. I don't think it's ever like a bad thing to be hopeful, and I think that really works in both cases. It works on the cases where kids have no experience, and so they see other people, and sometimes can be like, "Oh, that's cool," or they can be like, "I saw that. That's not a new thing. That's not a weird thing." And when they meet people, they are new. But it can also work for people who have been uh, told to be racist, told to be um, uh, trans, like, uh, phobic, uh, homophobic, and have been taught that in the case where they see people who are not like them, and they're like, why am I supposed to hate this person? Or they can just filter through what they've been told to get to real experience. Right. Yeah, I mean... But I'm, here's the thing that threw me, like, way, way off. And this was, like, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, there was these um, white kids and black kids I used to work with who were, like, barely 20. And they would call each other the N-word. Yeah. And, like, for my generation, our generation, you know, you would get prepared to get beat. Right. And they were just, like, they were cool with it. And while I was not cool with it, I respected that they were getting to a place where they could be cool with it. And I had to step back and think about it. Yeah. But I think that's also, like, separated a bit from now. Well, it's hard because I think, I mean, I feel the same way. Like, I run a soccer club here in Brooklyn and you know you hear kids like the older kids like the 18 year olds 17 year olds 18 once in a while you hear them throwing around language and I'm just like you can't mm-hmm. like, I, I come from a place where you just do not ever you know what I mean yep. and they yeah. you know, they hear it in every song they're like it's it's you know blah blah I'm just like nope you can't but I think maybe yep. like to your point maybe generation I don't know some things you can't some things you from growing up you can't purge you know what I mean your relationship to whatever it is you know yeah I just I couldn't but like it's interesting because the younger black kids could yeah and I'm a little bit different like I don't know that you can choose who you allow to speak that language like Four guys here are okay, but John and Mike aren't. Yeah. And, like, all of the women can, but, like, half of the guys can't. It just gets, you know. Yeah, it's tricky. I don't know. It's it's, yeah. it's waters I can't navigate. I'm going to stay out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that your work is really engaging, and, and it's, you know, it brings in a really interesting confluence of of like a certain media and aesthetic that approaches you know people in a certain time of life and, and is flipping that which is really pretty cool well thank you it's, but yeah. I still want to see the track stuff too I want to see the <laughs> nine foot by uh, don't make me screen share don't make me screen share but yeah, no. Around here, the, the work is really cool. What do you uh, What are you listening to these days? What's the Do you find escaping music still? I mean, I think we probably all do, but I do. I don't have anything I'm particularly listening to right now. I'm 
you know, you have an older child. I have a younger child. I'm just waiting for the moment where I can get like an hour. Like when she's not asleep, where I can just right. like, no, I get it. Really, yeah. really search. You're really in the wait. How old is she? Four. Four. Yeah. You're in boot camp. You're going to, yeah, it, it chills yeah. out later on, but it feels like a while. Yeah. But you're in the, <laughs> the thick of it, you know? Yeah. It already feels like a while. Like she's amazing, but I've never had that en- much energy in my life. And, yeah, so I just, but you know, you're out of the she wants to cuddle with you phase, uh, and like, yeah, to pull up on you and and fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I'm in the gloriously in the phase of like everything you do is an embarrassment to me. And how do you not know who Baby Keem is? <laughs> oh yeah, Baby Keem's not bad, but like not but I great. Mean, I don't, you know, I have to be embarrassed because I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't wait for that time. Yeah, I'm going to embarrass the hell out of her. Oh, yeah. No, we lean into it. You know, I'm paying it forward from my, all the shit my dad put me through. You know what I mean? I'm just, <laughs> it's a thing. You just become your parents in a way. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad did the same thing. You Although know, I do, he wanted to, to my own credit, I do turn it down a little bit compared to him. <laughs> you have to. Have a heart. Like, I don't know if your dad ever sat in his chair with no clothes on and just his boxers when a date came over. No, that was like the joy that. of his life. He didn't do that. That was but... the joy of his life. Oh, man. That's rough. Yeah, that's fine. It's the only one he got to come over. I think I, I just got the dates away. That way, far from yeah. the house, ever. Yeah. <laughs> just to be safe. That's a good plan. <laughs> well, just but... meet in the park. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the best. <laughs> um, well, what are, you, uh, what are you working on now? Do you have anything coming up? Uh, well, I have a show, uh, right now at the Peel. It's in Baltimore. It's downtown. And after that, I have a couple of shows in Massachusetts coming up. Uh, yeah. So I'm working on those. They'll be in the fall. Nice. And, you know, I'm working on a bunch of stuff. Like, happy because there's clear space where I can paint. There's a bunch of stuff I got to get happening. Yeah, well, it's that empty wall syndrome. You see it, and it knocks you, and mm-hmm. you fill it up. Um, well, it was great talking. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time out. It was cool to, to meet, and, and you know, I look forward to seeing more of your work. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, great to talk. Thanks. Many thanks. To Kamati and to Michael Lovett for the intro. Also, many thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their sponsorship and Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Big thank you to all the people who've bought Why I Make Art, the new Sound and Vision podcast book, which is out, available, shipping from Altelier Editions, the publisher. Distributed by the Art Book, you can get it wherever you get your books. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, The Publisher, McNally Jackson Stores, all over the place. And uh, thanks to everyone who's been sending messages and posting about it and sharing it. Uh, it means a lot. It's been a great project to work on, and I feel like it's a real good extension of the podcast into the lessons you can hold in your hand realm. 
So if you haven't, it's $25. If you could pick it up, support the podcast. If you already have it, if you could leave a review on it, wherever you get it online, or leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen. One last thing, the 28th of this month, which is a Thursday night, 6 to 8 p.m. at Miles McHenry Gallery in New York City. A book signing release party open to the public. So come on out. And the cool part about it is it's not just the books there and I'll be signing it and giving out some other stuff. Also, we've curated a show of some of the artists who are in the podcast. So there's going to be a Why I Make Art show at the same time opening, which should be great. So come on out for that. That show will be up for a month, but the book signing, release party with champagne and sparkling water, for those who don't drink, will be on the 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. Be there.